Hey guys, what's up? It is uh, week 43 already, so we're uh, coming up to that year uh, anniversary of this stuff. I got uh, like uh, five or six reviews for you. Jeremy's going to sit in on a couple classics with me. Uh, and uh, yeah, I got a contest drawing or for a pick a movie uh, drawing. But uh, I wanted to address, I did watch Friday the 13th Part 2. I probably won't review it, uh, although I am going to review some classic titles in this video. Uh, for some reason, I've never wanted to review the Friday 13th movies. I feel like they've been said, so many people have said so many things about them. They have those giant documentaries and everything. Same thing with Nightmare on Elm Street. Those documentaries are so immense and so impressive. It's just like, what can I possibly say? But, uh, I did watch Friday 13th, rewatch Friday 13th Part 2. I really like the Friday 13th movies. Enjoyed the hell out of it. If you guys ever want me to do something with like those kind of movies or those series, uh, let me know. But uh, I'm going to hop right in this. Uh, the first uh, review, uh, the first one I'm going to be tackle is Black Eagle from MVD Rewind Collection. Yeah. I had actually uh, probably tried to watch Black Eagle as a kid a long time ago, and uh, I actually uh, never finished it. It was one of those ones, me and my brother always used to rent all the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. We loved Bloodsport, we loved Lionheart, we loved Universal Soldier. Uh, Black Eagle always uh, caught our attention because, hell, it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. We never finished it. This one actually also has Sho Kazugi in it, who's in a bunch of ninja movies. He has a cult following. This is after No Retreat, No Surrender, but before, or is it right after Bloodsport? It's around that time. Jean-Claude Van Damme in this movie is not this huge celebrity he became, you know, huge action star that he did. But uh, the story of Black Eagle is a doozy. Uh, it's a spy movie. It's a karate movie. It's a espionage movie. It's, a, it's, it's like a family movie at the same time with the kids in here. Uh, we have the uh, Russians and Americans meeting in the, uh, where, where was the location? Maltese. And uh, there's some sort of uh, weapon that they both want that crash landed in the water. So we have this kind of spy intrigue. Uh, Shokasugi is the American. Jean-Claude Van Damme is the Russian. They look very, uh, you know, and they both have accents <coughs> that probably don't really fit with where they're supposed to be from. Uh, what follows is that there's a two cuts on here. I watched the extended cut. <coughs> A lot of uh, dialogue and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, covert stuff going on here and there. That stuff is kind of boring, to be honest. And there is some, there's some stuff that's it's fairly comical in here that shouldn't be. At, at one point, these bad guys, these goons that are hilarious looking, start following Shokusagi, and uh, he leads them on a roof. And uh, the way he gets rid of some of these guys cracked me up. Literally, one guy is chasing him and accidentally runs off the roof on his own. Uh, it, it was, the scene was done in a way that it actually was fairly hilarious. Uh, the best parts of the movie, which are actually really cool, are when uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Show face off. They have a couple fights in this movie. Uh, they're really good. They're uh, really well choreographed. You can tell both these guys know what they're doing. Uh, and that's the highlights of the movie. Unfortunately, there's not enough of it. There definitely is not enough of it. There's way too much of the spy stuff that's not as interesting. It's kind of clunky. There's lots of weird characters. Lots of really bizarre, awful, off-the-wall dialogue. And especially delivered by people that uh, their first language is not English. That's going on here. Uh, the movie, I would say, is like a C-. Uh, the release itself is like an A. It has so much stuff on here. It has interviews with the director. has interviews... Uh, with the actresses and actors in here talking about Jean-Claude Van Damme, the writer. And they're very open about it, especially the writer. He talks about there was like five or six people, and uh, three writers actually involved with this movie. Uh, and, and you can see where it's going on here. And what Jean-Claude Van Damme added in at the last minute, and Sho Kasugi's kids added in, played by his real kids, added in at the last minute. It has all these weird storylines that don't really come together very well, and it feels like three different movies. Uh, it needed more action, but the action that's in there is fairly solid. The director of this also did the Octagon, with uh, Chuck Norris, so it wasn't his first um, uh, kind of uh, martial arts film. Uh, John Claude's okay in it. Uh, show uh, he he delivers his dialogue very very bizarrely. Um, and actually, the acting and the dialogue is probably what hurts the movie the most. The script's also a little clunky, but uh, it, it's if you like this movie, this is an amazing release, to be honest. Like I said, I'm not a huge fan of the film itself. I never finished it as a kid. We put it in five or six times and, and not finish it. But the, the features are ridiculous. You get two cuts in the movie. I'm looking right at the back. You have interview with show and people uh, who's still alive and uh, the making of. If it interviews with the director, producers, the writers. So you, you get pretty much everything you could ask for as a uh, far as a release is concerned uh 
The movie's not really my cup of tea. Uh, it, I wouldn't necessarily call it bad. It's just a lesser John Claude Van Damme movie, and uh, you know it doesn't stack up with something like Lionheart, which is an amazing movie, which is coming from this MV uh, D Rewind collection, uh, as well as Return to Swamp Thing and a bunch of other stuff. They're releasing a lot of interesting stuff, and uh, they they've done a great job with their uh, you know the booklet, the, the the poster in there, and uh, the design of the covers and how and how everything looks. It looks damn good. It's just I wish I liked this movie more because it's such a damn cool release. I'm hit! I'm hit! Rapping. Where are you? I can maneuver, but I'm losing power. Losing power. A jet fighter was missing in the Mediterranean. Three of those planes were carrying highly secret laser guidance systems. The best man for the job is codenamed Black Eagle. We can only guess how much the Americans know. Before we've done a computer run, we put splashdown in a sector three miles south of Swata Point off Malta. Now, it's an undercover high-tech conflict in an ancient land. There are no armies. There is no glory. This fight is one on one. It's combat in a world of double identity. His name's Ken Tani. For all intents and purposes, a marine biologist at the University of Hawaii. It is a world of double agents. I know quite a bit about Miss Parker. You must have me confused with someone else. A world of double meaning. This is my priest. A dangerous world. Exotic and sensuous. Where trouble is only a heartbeat away. Dad, is someone trying to hurt you? I'm doing a job for our country. And they're bad men, aren't they? They probably think we are Batman, Brian. For both sides, there's only one rule. Win. Black Eagle. This is the new front line. Will against will. Force against force. One on one. Show Kasugi. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Black Eagle. We got one from Retrovision here. This is Deadly Jaws and Night of the Sharks. These are two uh, Euro uh, uh, shark movies. Uh, this MVD release. I put this in and I was like, okay, let's check out Night of the Sharks first. And uh, it has uh, a Treat Williams in it. It's Italian. It's by the director of Panic, which is crazy, which I just watched last week. And uh, it also has Janet Argden and John Strainer uh, along with Treat Williams and Anthony Fargus. So it's got a nice little cast, especially for an Italian shark movie. Uh, kind of a weird, weird, bizarre uh, crime caper movie too. Uh, Janet Argan is, is very strange because two weeks ago I reviewed Eaten Alive, she's in that. And then a week ago I reviewed Panic, she's in that. And then I put this in, not knowing she was in any of the movies when I, when I started them, and she's in all of them, I completely forgot. She's like an actress that just keeps popping up. Uh... Yeah, Treat Williams is this guy that lives off the beach uh, with Anthony Fargus, their partners. They kind of run these little schemes. Uh, Treat Williams' brother rips off the wrong people. Uh, John Striner is a gangster that sends other gangsters after him uh, to uh, get something, a tape that is incriminating to him. Uh, Treat Williams dives, he swims, they do all sorts of stuff, and there's these sharks that are really, really weird. They are always after him. They're, he kills a couple of them. But they're always after them, the rubbery, and they always attack a ship. The movie's absolutely ridiculous. There's these weird moments of humor, but then there's a horrific moments of violence and shark attacks. Uh, it, it is weird, weird movie. Uh, it's always entertaining. It's really goofy. There's some action at the end here. It turns into like a, a stock, you know, like surviving a game thing at one point in the movie. Uh, there's a decent amount of action. John Striner's always great. I really like seeing John Strainer. He pops up in Antenna Cut and Run, a slew of other things. He's in tons of Caligula. He's in a lot of movies. Very familiar Italian. Well, he I think he was English, but very famous in Italy. But uh, yeah, he, he's uh, he's really good in this. He plays the head head baddie. The movie has all. It feels like a TV movie. It legit feels like a TV movie. The way it's shot, the way it's edited, everything about it. Treat Williams is having fun. Uh, there's just some unintentional humor in here where I absolutely laughed out loud. Uh, there is some shark attacks, which is so weird. It's just such a mismatch of stuff that doesn't that you don't think would ever go together. Um, 
I, I would check it out. It's fun. It has a memorable theme music as well. Uh, and on this one, there is a, a special uh, about John Striner. This guy goes, uh, it tongue, he's having fun with it. He talks about John Striner's entire career going over Italian cinema. And that's great. I, I love seeing that. He has fun with it. It's funny. And uh, you learn a lot about John Striner. James Ziegler has double-crossed the mafia. He's on the run. This will be the last time you have to pay me. But there's no place to hide. Now his brother has something they want. Two million worth of diamonds. And enough evidence to put them inside. What do you think? It could be dangerous. He's ready to take them on. You're signing your own death sentence, baby. On his own ground. So why don't you take off? Playing by his rules for the highest stakes. What started as blackmail is now a private war. Night of the Sharks with Treat Williams, Christopher Conley, and Antonio Vargas. Night of the Sharks. The other movie on here is Deadly Jaws, and this one is uh, this one I believe it's got to be Spanish, uh, from you know the way it was shot and everything. And on paper, this sounds great. Uh, again, these guys are after buried treasure. There's a bunch of double crossing. They're on a ship and they're surrounded by pirates. And of course, there's sharks involved and double crossing and poisonous fish and uh, sexual uh, relationships going on on the boat. Uh, but it, it, it comes off as a slog. It's boring. It's just. Eh, eh, it just keeps it, it repeats itself a lot. It doesn't go anywhere for long periods of time, and and again the dialogue's a little awkward. The characters are a little miserable. It's just not particularly well made. Uh, both these uh, look fairly uh, solid, I guess, for what they are. They look like somewhere in between a DVD and a VHS. They are in widescreen though. Uh, as for Black Eagle, that looks great. That sounds great. But, um, yeah, these two, they're not perfect. They're maybe like something like uh, they're better than a really bad VHS rip, but uh, I wouldn't go as far to call them DVD quality. Maybe so, slightly below DVD quality, but they are in widescreen. But uh, they're, they're uh, I believe it's a cheap price point, and to see two uh, Euro shark movies, Night of the Sharks is worth your time, especially if you like cheesy Italian movies. Uh, if you don't, I would avoid both of them. But uh, uh, Deadly Jaws has a lot of potential. It just doesn't live up to it. <laughs> next one here was made in 1969 this is from cult epics this is called obsessions yeah i had not seen this movie i had not really heard much about it but i bought it i was interested in it it's supposed to be very hitchcockian is how they explain it uh it takes place in amsterdam which i loved it is very hitchcockian and therefore it's made like that this late 60s so it reminds me more of argento's early stuff than even hitchcock but they're they're similar in itself like bird with the crystal plumage that kind of stuff uh we have this um 
this uh, guy training to be a doctor, and uh, there's a hole in the wall in his apartment, and he decides to look in. You know, that's typical Hitchcockian fashion, you know, looking and see, and he sees something that he's probably not supposed to see. He becomes obsessed with what's happening next door, and it appears these girls are being drugged and molested, and it, it's very weird. Her, His girlfriend is a reporter, and uh, she's in on the, some sort of case, and they both kind of mix together, and they start working together to try to figure out what's going on. Um... The setting of the movie is great because it takes place in Amsterdam. It's highly sexual, especially for 1969. Uh, and uh, it, it's a strange movie because most of the actors are speaking in English, but their 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 dialogue their dialects aren't always proper. You learn this more so in the special features with the interview with the lead actor. He's saying, "I was trying to speak in English, in American English, but I learned in my English. He's German. I learned my English." Or he's, uh, he's from Holland. I can't really think. Uh, but I learned my English in, in Britain. So it has that uh, accent. So I'm trying to throw that accent and do an American accent. Uh, he's got to be a highly intelligent guy for that. But uh, I, I was impressed with the sexuality in the movie. I was surprised for what it was. And I was also very surprised that they ended up getting a Bernard Herrmann uh, score. Um, obviously the composer for many uh, um, Alfred Hitchcock movies. And uh, more importantly to me, uh, the sc- he did the score for Taxi Driver with, by Martin Scorsese. So there's that going for it so that's very interesting on the special features on the disc they they do this whole storyline of with the director that he actually knew Scorsese Scorsese actually worked on the script on this movie and how he got Bernard Herrmann how he introduced Bernard Herrmann to Martin Scorsese so he'd do the soundtrack for Taxi Driver which is a really great story there's there's some interviews on here with the director and with the lead actor and I believe with one of the lead actresses as well so it's a nice release it isn't a full screen movie but I believe that's probably how it was shot uh, the ending of the movie is, is, is very memorable I like the ending quite a bit i think it's uh you know kind of almost uh cruel in its way but uh justified what happens uh i like movies that take place in amsterdam because though it's a city like unlike any other uh and this has got some nice shots it's got nice music obviously although they are just you know tracks that bernard herman had in his back catalog that he picked in certain spots but that's really cool and the story behind the movie is even cooler uh and uh for the time it's just something that uh was definitely pushing uh boundaries and pushing an envelope and uh made a nice tight thriller with uh some uh sexuality and some violence that wouldn't typically get made at the time and it has a, a very rich history of how it got made and uh who it met up with who and uh it's an important place in cinema just for who was introduced uh because of this movie We're going to talk about two movies that everybody's heard about a million trillion times, but why the hell not? Especially the first one because the release is amazing. We're going to talk about George A. Romero's 1968 zombie classic, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, and if you were to ask me, uh, I would tell you that this is not my personal favorite horror movie. It's in my top five, but I would say that it is the best. Especially, I love independent cinema, always have growing up, and this is the... Uh, I've seen somebody say that uh, George Romero was like the king of regional filmmaking. Is that what they said on the Oscars or something? He was. He pretty much was the uh, you know inventor of the independent American movie. And uh, Night of the Living Dead is probably the most important horror movie of the 60s, to me at least. Uh, this release is by Criterion. Uh, everybody knows that uh, at the time Night of the Living Dead wasn't copyrighted properly, so it went in the public domain. So years and years we never had a good release in Night of the Living Dead. And it's just so cool that Criterion stepped up and was like, we're putting out Night of the Living Dead. It's like, it just, I know that everybody knows Night of the Living Dead is the best movie, like the, one of the best horror movies ever made, but that Criterion puts it out, it just makes it official. 
it makes it yeah. official. If that is any, if that, that makes any sense. Like it's like, no, now Night of Living Dead's officially. It's on Criterion. Everybody knows. Even no, even haters have to be like, what's on Criterion? But uh, if anybody doesn't know the story of Night of Living Dead, it's about seven individuals who get trapped in a farmhouse by uh, corpses. It's based off of a nightmare George Romero had and the uh, Richard Matheson book I Am Legend, which is a great, great story, a novella, I say. But uh, vastly important, black and white, gritty, shot in 35 millimeter, black and white, with a wonderful cast, uh, way ahead of its time, but also felt like it was from a, a, a time gone by. It feels like yeah. a 50 sci-fi movie, yet uh, when it comes to the social issues and that kind of stuff, and just uh, the grittiness and the, the the kind of documentary style with the news, it's ahead of its time. So it's past its time and ahead of its time and completely original all at the same time it, and being inspired by stuff that came before so yeah it's it, it's a 50s movie that harkens into the 70s and, i would say and uh, what's beautiful about night of the dead i would like say like there's like three or four horror movies that i would say that uh uh I would say three. Night of the Living Dead. I'm not saying that they're in the same caliber. Last House on the Left and uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that just basically said, goodbye, fun gothic horror. Hello, uh, American 70s nihilistic realistic horror movies. Uh, and the 70s was all full of nihilistic stuff. You had Bonnie and Clyde in 67, then, then Night of the Living Dead, and then you had a wild bunch, and then it's just hell. Hell, I mean, the best movies ever made from the 70s American film. But, you know, I think that Night of the Living Dead was one of the, the uh, catalysts to that. Yeah, you just wanna. We could talk about Night of the Living Dead forever. I talked a lot, but do you have anything to say? Oh, you already talked about Night of the Living Dead. No, I'm just saying I just talked about it. Yeah. For like 10 minutes. <laughs> um, I'm pretty certain anybody watching this channel has probably already seen it. And I if you imagine. haven't, just, just don't waste it. your time on me. Waste your time on Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Uh, the special features on here are amazing. They have the old commentary, the elite commentary with George Romero, I believe. I, I actually listened to my DVD when I was doing something to check that out. But there's also a lot of great stuff on here. I'm actually going to look at the back and cheat so I can remember some of the stuff. Sorry, guys. I know people won't be. There's a, um, dailies and stuff. There's a work print on here, which is nice. Uh, there's interviews with uh, a bunch of the people that are still alive. They have uh, a nice little thing they did with the zombies. They like find like 10 people who played zombies in Night Living Dead and interview them about their experiences. Um, I love the commentary with Romero and uh, how they talk about a lot of the stuff because Romero and almost his entire career, not everyone, they uh, they just have this sentiment like they're like, yeah, we, we did something and, you know, and they, they just don't, they don't have this big ego. You can tell they're like good people and they're generally trying to go out and make something good and, and they do. Um, there is something on here with Dwayne Jones and Dwayne Jones, who played Ben, he did. He died uh, fairly young, if I remember, maybe in his fifties, sixties, or something. But uh, he didn't like talking about the movie. Not really? like he was ashamed about it. He just got tired of answering the same questions. Yeah. And, like they haven't interviewed him on there, and it's just like he just seems so uh, not ungrateful, but just so over it. Like he didn't want to talk about it. I mean, this is only a small part of his life, and he was just in a role. But he gives a truly great performance. Uh, the picture quality is immense. It looks so good. I noticed uh, scenes that I never noticed, like the gore scenes. I was like, there's gore in this? Like, I was like, there's gore in this? I never noticed it before. Like, some of the stuff actually looks fairly gross, like the hand and whatnot. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that looked nasty. Or when they're hitting with the hammer on the, the, the hands. And uh, you did notice that some of the things, the back shot, they do it in a lot of uh, the zombie movies. But you'll see, like, they look more mannequin-esque when they got hit. You could tell they were mannequins. And I didn't ever, I never realized you actually see the naked zombies boobs walk by. I was like, what? Oh yeah. When, I, when I they're walking notice. up to the house. I remember yeah. the butt. I remember mm -hmm. seeing a butt and then I didn't know. I, I didn't recognize the, the boobs there. I, I didn't never notice that before. And I seen this movie a hundred damn times. I, I love the interactions between Ben and Cooper too, because Cooper's right, which is a, a genius thing to do. And this movie is so, uh, if it, it doesn't, it, it's, it's mean, kind of mean spirited in a way. It's very mm -hmm. mean spirited. What happens at the end and everything that happens. And Romero would do that later on in his career. Like at the end of the crazies, you can't get much more mean spirited than that. But it no. also is so emotionally like well done. And it feels like it, it's not being mean just to be mean. It's being mean to prove a point. And I like that when it's there to prove a point. When it's just like, just to be mean for the hell of being mean, it just doesn't work. But now let me dead feels like it has something to say and it feels like it proves a point when it's with his cruel and Romero in general does that I think that um one of the scariest things to me in general are like broadcasts oh, yes. and with this and then even the next movie that we're going to talk about that they both utilize like broadcasts and emergency broadcasts or anything kind of 
slightly scary spoken over radio is going to get to me. Oh, it's just the thing when you hear the public uh, broadcast. Yeah, that emergency testing system. Terrifying. Or like a, a cable station sign-off. An Amber Alert. Yeah, I'm like, I don't, we're done. Kids won't know what a cable sign-off is nowadays. Do they have cable anymore? I don't think. I they mean, sign we don't off. have cable, but <laughs> I, mean... I don't think they sign <laughs> off anymore, do they? Don't they go twenty four seven now? I don't. I think there was like like that period of point, like after like the fourth repeat of the news cycle at like three in the morning. There's like the five minute cable sign off where they show a bunch of pretty pictures of the national anthem playing, then. <laughs> <laughs> infomercial and like i'm like i'm just gonna blow my brains out yeah, i swear terrifying. to god we're dressing the nuke i know we're not even talking about night living Dead anymore, yeah sorry prince of darkness yeah that scene where that they they broadcast through your dreams this is not uh this is not a dream this is a broadcast horrifies me yeah and, and that uh i love it in night of living dead that the news reporters are basically saying it too they're like the bodies of the dead are returning to life driven by an unknown force that enables the brain to keep functioning like they're just they can't believe it yeah, and uh, the comparisons to the remake. I like the remake. I don't think it's as good as the original. I do like uh, Tom Tolles and uh, Tony Todd's performances are, are really good in it. But uh, I think that it's really impossible to top the original. And uh, I, 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 there's just not much I can say. I love this this movie. It's it's such a perfect movie. Like the sounds that the the uh, Karen makes when she kills Helen in the basement. Mm-hmm. The that's, oh Jesus yeah, Christ. And uh, it, there's only one like major mistake. I know there's a lot. It's amateurish, but uh, there's a mistake. There's a jump cut that Romero points out, and that they cut out for time. That he didn't do it. The producers did. And it's like when Harry and Helen are talking in the basement. There's a, a quick cut. It's like, well, I cut it fast enough where they're on each other. It's like, like whoever edited it didn't realize they had to <laughs> cut away to something to do. It. It's just very bizarre. But uh, you know, it, it sets up. You know, the 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 zombies. It, it, the way we know zombies, flesh-eating zombies. They call them ghouls in this movie originally, not one term used zombies. I think zombies for the first four dead movies was only said twice. In Dawn of the Dead, it was said once. uh, With those bay doors, there's going to be a thousand zombies in here. And in Land of the Dead, zombies, man, they creep me out. So Romero didn't usually use that term. Yeah, well, they don't don't say it in this. No, they're Um, ghouls. They don't. Do they even say ghouls, or or does it only show up in the subtitles? Ghouls. They say ghouls. They actually say ghouls. Yeah, okay. The ghouls can be brought down by. That's yeah, right. Okay. They say it a bunch, and you know, Sheriff yeah. McLennan is so great. That line where he says, "Beat them or burn them," they go up pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Or are these things? That, yeah, they're dead. They're <laughs> messed up. That can explain. That can sum up Romero's whole hate for fast zombies. Mm-hmm. They're dead. They're all messed up. They're slow, man. Yeah, they're slow. But uh, man, I could literally talk about this movie. I could. Talk, sit here and just talk about it all day if you let me um the character dynamics between the wife harry and helen is great you could tell they're on the rocks and they're arguing and mm-hmm. it's just uh their the arguments are, are great um and I, I i i'm like trying to compare the original to the remake which one i prefer on the uh how the car blows up you know i think it makes a little bit more sense in the remake actually how the car blows up how do they, they shoot out the gas? Flies? Yeah, and the, re, yeah. the remake, yeah. And it, the gas flies. And it's right. just, I don't know. It's just a top-notch movie. It has so many familiar faces, and all these guys would have careers later on, a big chunk of them, Bill Heinzman, John Russo. And you know what I'll say about the writing? It feels that Romero was less of a sci-fi guy when he went on. Like, he was more, you know, uh, thriller or horror action stuff. But I think that the sci-fi elements, John Russo wrote this in Romero, I think those come more from him, I would say. They feel like they would come more from him. Because he did write The Return of the Dead 2 part of it originally. The sci-fi comes from Russo? Yeah. yeah would you I say would so? Because mm-hmm. I don't ever see sci-fi in Romero. No. Very. The, not at all. It's more paranoia than anything. Yeah, more paranoia. Mm-hmm. So I would say that the sci-fi elements and that old kind of horror 50 style comes from Russo. Maybe. Possibly. But, uh, you know, it's just the one that started it all. It started my favorite uh, genre of horror movies. I love zombies. I've always loved zombies. Mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Those are my favorites. Even Return of the Living Return Dead. Return of the Living Return Dead. Return of the Living Dead plays off. It's not in a Romero movies, but it plays off the Night of the Living Dead so well and so genius. Well, I mean, you know, you look at Return of the Living Dead and it, you couldn't have Return of the no, Living without Dead night. without Night. I mean, you couldn't have Zombie without no, no, uh, 
Dawn. Yeah, Dawn. You yeah. couldn't have anything like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, Romero said in the commentary, he's like, I thought we were creating a new monster, but apparently we just reinvented zombies. Stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, Romero is just such a cool guy. And the stories with, uh, you know, how they basically cast a, an African-American actor, like, they were like, people were like, oh, you, you, you were so brave to cast an African-American actor and do that at the end. It was so brave. And, right, they heard that uh, Martin Luther King got assassinated on the way with the film. But Romero and his company, they weren't, being brave, they just weren't racist assholes. They were just like, well, he is the best actor. He showed up. We cast him. We just didn't mm-hmm. We didn't think anything of it. And that says more to me than somebody who would be like, well, we're going to cast him because he's black. They just didn't even see the skin color. They just cast him because he was the best actor in the room. The idea that that basically played into the fact that he got shot at the end is just like, uh, I guess you'll say, lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And I... if the, the next movie's lightning in a bottle, too. They're both lightnings in a bottle. You know, I, I, a lot of times with like Romero, you know, and I've said it maybe with his more so with his later films, like like the the messages and like the analysis of Romero was I don't think was present or intentional on his part until thirty years removed from his original trilogy, he's doing it, and I think more it's more hand fisted. I think so. it was subconscious originally, and I think yeah. subconscious enough is better. I think the crazies was on purpose. Crazies was on purpose. And and Dawn of the Dead I think's on purpose too to a certain extent. But I think the more his career goes, it, it becomes more conscious. More but yeah. in Night of Living Dead it was his most pure. Yeah. I, I I know Crazies was early in his career, but I mean maybe it's just that when I get older I see that I'm like, Romero's a smart guy, I see what he's doing here, and I never saw it before, but I remember when I was younger, like 12, 15, I was just like, oh, he's just, you know, it's all subconscious, but the older I get, I don't think it necessarily was, but I do think Night of the Living Dead was the most subconscious. I think that these were a lot of happy accidents, and just Mm -hmm. Romero's genius subconscious taking over, and just living in that environment, and, you know, and understanding it, and making a great movie out of it, but, uh, you know, the best independent horror film ever made, Night of the Living Dead. And uh, the next one's probably the second best independent horror movie ever made, if you want to call it an independent horror movie. But uh, I've talked a lot. I know I've cut you off some, but is there anything else you wanted to say about Night Living Dead? I don't know if there's... No. No, I think we covered it up pretty well. All stock music, too. All library music. Is there, really? Yep. Yep. And he just picked the cues right. And uh, just a wonderful movie with uh, a wonderful, wonderful release. Uh, mm-hmm. Two discs, actually. One has a bunch of features. One has two commentaries on it. Just the best. The best ever. The killers are eating the flesh of the people they murdered. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. to get you, Barbara. Uh, the next one here is another classic. I don't know if I should call these segments the classic corner and then make a little video for them or just do them when I feel like it. But uh, this is the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Another movie that makes argument for the best horror movie ever made. Those are probably the two. Night of Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw, I'd say. I'm not hearing it. Those are the two that are the best. If it ain't them, it ain't. It, I, I ain't hearing it. I just mean, you know, Night of, Texas Chainsaw is not my favorite movie but I think it's a, a bona fide classic, and I think it's probably the first or second best horror movie. I think Night's might be the best, but then Texas. Man, boy, boy, I haven't seen Texas Chainsaw in a long time. It's been like at least seven years since I rewatched it, and uh, maybe longer. But this movie always scared the shit out of me, always kind of bothered me in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's just something about being, you know, isolated and hearing that chainsaw go off that you're just, oh no. It's just horrifying. And my cousin felt the same way about this movie. It's just scary. 
And uh, Toby Hooper, again, uh, what they say was, is just made such a crazy, weird movie. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre follows a group of uh, kids, young young people out to see if their grandfather's uh, uh, grave had been turned over because a bunch of people's graves had been dug in and, and uh, the bodies had been, uh, you know, put in really disgusting ways and grave robbed. And uh, they go to uh, their old hometown area where their uh, grandfather's house was and uh, they go through and they decide, you know, to make a day out of it, stop by a couple places. This town is surrounded just by very bizarre, very odd people. And, uh, they run into the, the horrible, horrible family, and uh, most of them get horribly butchered. That's pretty much the plot of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Uh, Toby Hooper originally thought he was making, like, a comedy. <clears throat> I could, it, it, it is a comedy. Nah, but it's more scary than anything. <laughs> it is scary, it, The yeah. humor in it feels real, like how mm-hmm. people would act. But what he does, what Toby Hooper does so well is when, by the time, if you guys haven't seen this, go watch it. We're probably going to spoil it like Nightly Dead. Yeah. By the time you see Grandpa, who shows up, who is this completely unrealistic character, they had set up the bizarre and weird, absurd stuff with other characters, like the the strange guy washing the car, or the, the drunk man laying on his back to, spouting weird things. All the characters are so weird, and then when you actually see the hitchhiker and uh, mm-hmm. Leatherface, they're just so weird. By the by, the time you see Grandpa, who shouldn't be real, shouldn't be alive, it's fine. You're caught in this nightmare world, and everything seems like it could actually happen at that point, even if it is kind of surreal and absurd and terrifying. What's well, up? They introduce Grandpa first as a corpse, and then later they bring him back, and then he's real. Well, he's or alive, I guess I should say. You don't. I mean, they never show if he's dead or not. You just right. assume he's dead. Yeah, because there's a skeleton next to him. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a freaking masterpiece, made in '74, made in Texas, based off of uh, some stories that Ed Gein. I meant that Toby Hooper had heard about Ed Gein from Wisconsin uh, about somebody making. Uh, you guys know the story, of Ed Gein. He's basically a, a crazy, crazy criminal. Uh, not necessarily a serial killer, but a killer who. Uh, dug up a lot of bodies and made a lot of weird things uh, out of corpses, uh, furniture and whatnot. But uh, the production design in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is amazing. The way it's shot is amazing. Uh, a lot of these uh, creative shots, and they only had 40 track, forty feet of dolly to use, and they managed to do all those tracking shots that are wonderful. I love the editing style because you'll go from wide to really close at points, mm-hmm. which is really terrifying, especially when you see the hitchhiker run up to the car. And then when you see Leatherface, uh, it's wide at points at the end when they throw the wrench and it cuts up close. They were talking about that in the commentary. It's like, you're right. This, these, these editing techniques are, are very different, very strange. You can just feel the heat in this movie. You can feel the disgust in this movie. You can feel that the actors, if you listen to commentaries, were irate. They were not happy. They were miserable. And it's coming through on screen. Mm-hmm. It's hell. That movie's hell. It, he made it in seven days? No, no, no. No? No, that's not true. Uh, he, they planned for two weeks, but it became a four-week shoot. I it think. became a four-week shoot. Yeah, they lost a week of shooting, I think, is what they said in the commentary. They lost a week of shooting because they had a bad lens. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was one because I think that there's like a time, or I'm not, I'm not trying to like talk down the movie or anything, but like when the girl runs out in the ending and, and he's chasing her and all the truck stuff happens, yeah. you know, in the end, like she was there overnight, but by the time she gets picked up by the pickup truck, the sun is setting again. Well, that was a whole, the basically, oh, you mean the whole movie took all place overnight? I thought you said the whole movie was shot in seven days. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I always read that the movie was shot in seven days. Oh, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Maybe the main for, uh, stuff was, maybe seven weeks. But it takes place overnight. It they takes, drive through the day. Yeah, they take and place then, overnight. And she runs through night, and then she's in the house at night, and then the ne- by the next morning, she busts out of the house. She busts out of the house, but by the end of the movie, when the uh, truck is speeding off, and she's in the back of the pickup truck, and Loverface is like, yeah, yeah, doing his around. dance. It's in, it's in a sunset. You notice that? No, I didn't necessarily notice that. But they definitely tried to make it look like it was the morning. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but I, maybe it wasn't filmed at that time. That's what I, I was oh, thinking. Yeah, I didn't understand what you were trying to say there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just just like every movie, every shot in this movie is super iconic. Uh, from the, the the windmill turning to every shot to the under the under the um, port under what the bench that she's sitting on with the dolly track. They talk about it. There's just so many amazing moments, and the the, the deaths in here are so fast. 
cast, they feel real. And that it's just bothersome. The first time you see Leatherface and the, the music cues, there's not much music in the movie, but when the cues are there, they're horrifying. The first time you see him, it, it always made me feel super uncomfortable. And the way that Gunnar Hansen plays Leatherface, he plays him like a mental patient. And he plays it so mm-hmm. well that it's horrifying. And obviously, everybody knows the story that Gunnar Hansen went to a mental institution for two days and said, uh, my goal was to make sure that people didn't know if I was a visitor or a patient. And it shows. And you can tell that him and uh, Ed O'Neill, who plays the hitchhiker, put so much goddamn work into their characters. Jim Seidel, too. They all put a lot of work into these characters. They're, they're there. And uh, you can tell that they put so much work and psychology into these characters. And Ed O'Neill is just scary. He's like one of those guys that you think really like this. But uh, all of them. And Jim Seidel, like, I love how they talk at the end of the table. They, they're talking to Toby Hooper's talking about, see his face, because he doesn't really like it, but he can't stop from getting caught up in the mania of the whole right. event because he wants to impress Grandpa. So he's, like, getting caught up and then feeling bad about it, then getting caught up, and then he can't control himself. He He's a very odd character, and he's a, a very odd actor, too. He reminds me of, like, Clue Gulliger or something like that, yeah. like you said. Mm-hmm. He's like a Clue Gulliger War Notes type, and, uh, but not, <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Not... not War Notes is handsome compared to him. I don't think it was called War Notes handsome, but yeah. But uh, just amazing performances here. And what the the lead actress went through, Marilyn Burns, man, she she went through hell. Franklin? A lot of people hate Franklin. I like Franklin. I, I love was, Franklin. He's my favorite character next to Loverface. And the hitchhiker. And the hitchhiker. I, I liked everyone, actually. Everyone's great. Uh, even, the, even the four characters, the four kids and Franklin, there's five of them. They're all great. And... Uh, the, the hitchhiking scene from that moment on, like, you see this weird, bizarre town. And, you know, I, I want to say that, like, King of the Hill based all their odd characters off. Like, just, That's carrying just into side. The sun. Yeah, there's a, right when you, <laughs> right when they pull up to the gas station, the guy who cleans off the car is just looking right into the sun. <laughs> He's staring into the freaking sun. That that kind of stuff is the humor in Texas Chainsaw. And you don't see it at first. Right. You're, you're horrified. You're horrified. And, you know... When you would go into a weird, bizarre place like that, at first it would be kind of funny to you, unless you were there. Like when you left, let's say, like you went through that town, you never bumped into Leatherface, the hitchhiker. Maybe they'd be familiar with these types of people. But and you go home, you'd be like, man, that asshole was staring right into the freaking <laughs> sun. You'd be laughing about it all day. But when you're in it, man, it's not funny. It's just terrifying. Right. Yeah. Like it's so weird. It's such a bizarre movie, and it's so so freaking unique. And the movies that tried to, like the sequels and everything, and the remakes and everything, they're just not as powerful. Or the genre. Why? You said you hate yeah, movies I don't, like this. Typically. I don't like the genre. I, you know, I, I had never seen this from beginning to end. I've always caught like 10 minutes here or there. Um, and yeah, every genre, like every movie based off of this movie... Or, or that was inspired by this movie. I, I, I'm not going to watch. Which is, which is weird. I mean, I like them, but mm-hmm. it just like when you go back and you watch the classics like Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you realize why you're a horror fan. you got to sometimes remind yourself why you love this stuff. And I, I just watched Friday the 13th Part 2 again, too. So you got to remind yourself why why you love horror movies sometimes after you see a lot of the stuff you just don't particularly care for. And mm-hmm. it's funny to me, like even the newest horror movies that I love, they're just not comparable to this kind of stuff. This stuff is gold. You know, it's just amazing. Yeah. I just can't say enough good things about both these movies. Uh, and I think, uh, say what you want, Toby Hooper's a master. I know he t- he made... People be like, well, you know, he only made a couple good movies. It's like uh, one of the best movies ever made is is better than 10 mediocre movies by a director. I yeah. mean, like, come on. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is amazing. Poltergeist is a good movie. Not a huge fan of Poltergeist, but it's a great movie. No doubt. Funhouse is solid. I love Eaten Alive. Eaten Alive is a lot like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and sure. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too. The Eaten Alive is the one with um, Neville Brand, and he runs that uh, hotel, and he has the crocodile, and he feeds all the people to the crocodile. You haven't seen that one? I'll show you that one because it's a lot like Texas Chainsaw. What's one of the Farmer Vincent guy in it? That's Motel Hell, which is basically awesome. a spoof of Texas Chainsaw, which is <laughs> which is a great movie. Love that movie. But uh, Toby Hooper has that kind of like, why is everybody screaming and crazy in his movies? Like everybody's weird. Yeah. And the same thing with like Eating Alive. It's like, why is everybody screaming? Stop screaming. <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw goes by. It's brisk. It's 83 minutes. It feels like 10. It's just a a beautiful, crazy nightmare that surprisingly shot well, acted well. Everything about it's perfect. Minimal music, but everything in it, the music cues they use, is just great. Uh, there's four commentaries on this release. I don't have the four disc edition, but that's all that's on there. I love. I listened to the commentary with Hooper and Gunner and uh, the 
Danny Perry, or what's his name, uh, the cinematographer. And when um, the the way um, Leatherface kills, like he, when the people walk into the house and he's like, and he runs up and grabs him. He's he's not killing, I think, because he wants to kill. I think he's killing out of like nervousness and he doesn't want to get in trouble. Like he doesn't said, want to get in trouble. You were watching this and you were saying, "Man, I love Leatherface because." Everything he does is so he doesn't get yelled at. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and then when he's dressed as the uh, woman, when he's doing the woman, <laughs> the psychology and stuff like that, and he's like, yeah, right, and uh, he's yelling at him. And Jim Seidel is beating the crap, about to beat the crap out of him. He's like, did you let anyone get away? And he's like, no. He's like, Are you sure? He's like, yeah. And he already wanted to beat the crap out of him so bad. Then he's like, well, you messed up the door. And he starts beating him. <laughs> right. It's just like the the relationship between these guys is is great. And mm-hmm. uh jumping out of a window it feels so real because if somebody's chasing me with a chance you're going right out that fucking window I don't care I love the fact that she did it twice <laughs> uh, Toby Hooper actually said that in the commentary he said I think this is the only movie where the heroine jumped out of a window twice yeah yeah like the first time it happened I was like that that, that was pretty cool like I would do the same thing in this situation but when she did it the second time I, I thought it was the funniest thing in the world I think that that's where the humor comes in yeah yeah like, like to me it was like a legit kind of comedy and like yeah there was some like terrifying horrible things happening in it but like everything said and done like i never felt that anybody was in any real danger what are you even though they died about? i don't know it felt like a comedy to me it didn't feel like a spooky movie it's horrifying it's terrifying there's some funny moments in it but i think every movie has humor yeah and because like we're we get to watch it from the outside like you could see some humorous moments but this if, is, well yeah but i, I mean the only movies that don't have any humor are Christopher Nolan movies, and I'm I just not a fan of those movies. But uh, well, I had seen the remake in theaters, and I don't remember it having that comedy. kind of humor. Well, yeah. Lee Ermey's lines are so disgusting and fucked up that some people might laugh just from nervousness. And I think there's a lot of nervous laughter happening here, like when you're you're around like the hitchhiker, you're like, ha, 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 what? Because like, it just <laughs> makes you nervous. And I, I wonder if maybe if that's why. Every movie inspired off of this that I've seen, it's like like they lose that comedic element, and therefore it just becomes kind of like a, well, or it just becomes a little too stupid, like a little a, too stupid, a little too flat. Well, Motel Hell is a, a straight up spoof, and I yeah. love that movie. And like Blood Salvage is a little goofier, and I don't love it's a fine movie, but uh, it's just impossible to compare to Texas Chainsaw. You know, it's impossible. And Texas Chainsaw and Psycho are Ed Gein, right? Yeah, and In so theory. is Silence of the Lambs. And Silence of the Lambs, too? And Deranged, and Three on a Meat Hook. Which one would you say is your favorite based I would off def- of the Ed Gein? <laughs> I would say that Deranged and Three on a Meat Hook are not in the caliber of those three movies. Okay. But three, uh, Deranged is good, though. Deranged is good? Based off Ed Gein, those are all like five-star classics, but Texas Chainsaw, followed by Psycho, followed by Silence of the Lambs. Okay. But Psycho's close. Psycho's pretty good. This Psycho's amazing. I never saw... Um, Silence of the Lambs? Never saw Silence of the Lambs? I saw like the last 20 minutes. Every movie I ever watched, I only caught like 20 minutes on USA Today You're embarrassing like yourself. You're going to make me look bad. Well, I don't have anything else to say about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre except that it's great and it looks great in 4K. It's an amazing looking movie. Picture quality is top notch. I love the... Satur- it looks like a western, but it's also saturated, but not saturated enough where it has no colors. It's colorful. I love how it looks. The, day- the night for night shots... Looks surprisingly good, especially on a budget. And uh, they're scary as shit. Uh, the murders in here, the deaths, are horrifying. Bothersome. Don't like watching these people die. Although you said you felt nothing for them, but you're a sociopath. Yeah, you know. But uh, you're Ed Gein. <laughs> That's all I have to say about it. Classic. Uh, Franklin made me upset. <laughs> How he sticks his arms out, too. Well, I just, I just like him. I, I love that cool. they argue because they were playing brother and sister, and I guess Franklin was in character on set the whole time. Really? So everybody hated his guts. Oh, my God. He refused to get off character. So when they were, like, done, like, they were talking about it on the commentaries, and they were like, and when, like, uh, Franklin was finally done with it, mm-hmm. they're like, I thought you were like that until after the movie. And I realized <laughs> you were not an asshole. <laughs> like, Gunnar Hansen said that he's like, I couldn't stand him. He's like, the only person I talked to was... Uh, um, Ed O'Neill, because I didn't talk to any of the other characters, because he stayed, like, crazy. 
I know Gunnar Henson went on to do other things. Did anybody else go on to do anything? I think Edwin O'Neill was in Future Kill. Marilyn Burns was in Eaten Alive. She popped up in a couple other things. Jim Seidel was in the sequel to Dex Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, a lot of the other people did, worked in movies, but I don't think they were big-time actors. Like, the production designer did a lot of stuff. A lot of the crew went on to do very successful. Um, mm-hmm. Gunnar Hansen was in Mosquito and Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, but Edwin O'Neill was in Future Kill. What else was he in? They all pop up here and there and stuff. Like, I wonder where they find these people. Same thing with uh, Night of the Living Dead. Like, there are big local people. I think that in Texas Chainsaw, a lot of them were kind of like theater actors around mm-hmm. the town. And uh, I think that in uh, Night of the Living Dead, they were a lot of theater actors as well. And some of them were producers and whatnot, and especially the extras. But they were local actors and actresses. Because they do an amazing job. Oh, yeah. And then you never see them again. They're like, huh. That's strange that it works like that sometimes. Yeah. Nowadays, there's just so many people that want to be actors that don't take it seriously, or actresses. I take it seriously. But uh, you guys have a good one. The next, the pick a movie of the week was picked by uh, Nick Mua. He picked uh, Jack Goes Home. It was on Amazon. It's uh, within a few years old. I had not heard of this movie. It has Rory Culkin in it and uh, Lynn Shade. So I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. And I put this in and it started off. Uh, it follows the plot of a, a kind of a highly intelligent, uh, I want to say he's more of a... Um, introverted kind of snarky but really intelligent and witty uh kid oh young man i'll say whose father dies in a freak car accident and uh, he has to go back to his home and uh take care of his mother and when he gets home his best friend's there he starts to get involved with this uh homosexual neighbor which is a really weird plot point uh and his girlfriend's back home and she's pregnant so it's very complicated very bizarre and lots of weird characters. Uh, right when he gets home, you know, something's not right. Lynn Shade is not right. She is actually tremendous in, the, uh, tremendous in this movie, and it's really nice to see a person who is in so many small roles get a nice, juicy role to bite into. I know that she's had kind of this, like, this, uh, you know, big uh, renaissance for the career, and she actually never stops, so that's great. But she's actually getting more recognition, and I love seeing that because Lynn Shade's a good actress, and she's great in this movie. And Rory, Rory Culkin's actually really good, too. I was very impressed with his performance. It's very intense. And uh, I I gotta say this uh this movie has a low rating on internet movie database uh five four point nine and i will say it's probably only due to the very ending i don't think that the very ending fits exactly with the movie but besides that there's lots of twists there's lots of turns and there is a ridiculous amount of disturbing stuff so much disturbing stuff that it actually bothered me and it scared me for a second i i got scared which i couldn't believe um there's a reveal in this movie where this character starts digging into his past and he realizes something's wrong with his mom, something about his dad doesn't add up, and something with him doesn't add up. He starts listening to these tapes that he's found in the attic, and it's his dad telling him, you know, I love you, and, and then when he's our, he, it's his dad reading him like stories to go to bed, but after he's asleep, he says, if you ever listen to this tape, go in the attic and find this. And you're just like, that's so off-putting, so off awful. And 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 what's worse than dying? What's, what's the things that scare you is finding out that your whole world 
world that you know is not actually the way it's supposed to be. Something's different. Or these these realizations about someone that you loved and you find out that they're a completely different person and, and not everything is as it seemed. It, it can be terrifying. And that's where this movie goes. It, it plays with the mind. It's definitely uh, playing with the mental breakdowns and here and there and who's telling the truth and who's lying and are these people here or are they not here. And uh, there's a, a scene where it's a uh, video footage. It's kind of shot in like a found footage style and you just get a glimpse of something off to the corner. And that scene, I'm not going to spoil it, is awful, awfully gut-wrenching. It, it really bothered me. Uh, and, and I didn't expect it. I expected this to be your pretty much your generic, oh, here, here we go, thriller. But uh, it's something about somebody going away from their home and coming back after being gone for so long that intrigues me. It, it's just uh, something that's bittersweet and also... You know, it's unlike any other feeling, I think. And uh, that's just uh, opening up all these old memories because there's people over time, and especially adults, they get jaded. And then there's only some things that can bring that, uh, has like a, a, a direct like a spot to your core, to your soft tissue, to the inside of you, you know. And uh, Jack goes home, it, it gets to that. And I was I was really surprised with some of the stuff that they were doing in here. And uh, it gets real dark. The homosexual thing, the neighbor, I don't understand what's going on with that. It doesn't really fit with the storyline. And uh, I wish that the girlfriend was in the movie more than just Skype conversations, especially she's pregnant. I think that, that the way they did that was just a way to shoehorn in more despair in the movie. And I don't know if it works exactly. This is actually directed by Thomas Decker, who is an actor who is in a bunch of stuff. He's in Kaboom. He was in uh, Late the Rest, I believe, Part 2. He's in a lot of stuff if you look him up. And uh, I think he did a damn good job for what it was. And I think Rory uh, Culkin did a really good job. And Lynn Shade did a great job, too. I, I, I was impressed with it. I didn't expect much from it. Hopefully I didn't hype it up too much. And oh, they do the thing where there's these these uh, things that crawl very strangely that always kind of freak me out. I would compare this on the same level of something like Fractured, which was a nice thriller that had uh, uh, Vinnie Jones in it that not many people talk about. I would put it in line with Fractured. Uh, which I thought was really good too and no one talked about it but that's Jacko's Home uh, it was by Nick Mua who picked uh, Adam Weber won the next one he picked Road to Perdition so I'll be on that next time but uh, Jacko's Home it's on Amazon Prime check it out I heard a sound a wind a strong wind and then a whisper in that wind Jack my dad he died today my dad's dead what? Like, I'm already at peace with it. It's weird, right? I had to come out here. You're my best friend. And we better start packing. You're going home. Can I tell you something? Please do. I always thought this house was haunted. Mom? Mom? I'm so sorry, Mom. Well, that makes no sense. You're sorry you had nothing to do with it. I was just being nice. Well, you don't need to be nice. None of this is nice. Your father really loved you. I am so sorry. feeling that you wouldn't like what you found up there. There's something else. real. Something really bad is happening. She wants to make me insane. I'm not. Jack, what's in the attic? I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you saying, Jack? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go away. Go away. I'm sorry. Okay, guys. Uh, let's do the pick a movie here. What do we got? If you want to do a pick a movie, go to the Screaming Toilet page or leave a comment on YouTube or anywhere on Facebook. For the pick a movie, I'll find your name and I'll enter you. Let's see who's going to win this one. We got James Grimmer. Congratulations, buddy. Hopefully you pick something good. 
Okay, let's get into the Q&A. Okay, James Grammer, are there any movies that have stuck with you long after you've seen them? Have they influenced you anyway? Yes, tons of movies, lots and lots of movies. Like movies that bother me or movies that just are completely embedded in my head forever. There's like five or six movies that I just know every quote to. Like Return of the Living Dead, I know everything. How are you going to burn all those fuckers? There's a hundred of those. A hundred? You know, the brain, the brain. I hit the fucking brain. I've seen that movie a million damn times. Uh... <laughs> what is it the cadaver sounds sore uh and then tombstone either i see a red sash i killed a man wearing it and then there's stuff like uh the music to cannibal holocaust is forever embedded in my head scenes are forever burned in my head when uh warren oates grabs that machine gun and uh wild bunch and screams that scene sticks with me every time i see it every time i hear it i just get chills with that scream man it sticks with me you know, or just uh, people's faces in movies. Lots of movies stick with me. Lots of movies influence me. They influence my whole life, to be honest. I know I'm gushing here. I didn't even realize I was going to do this. But I'm pretty much just a smorgasbord of the movies I love. So some days I'm nice, some days I'm mean. It depends what movie I'm channeling. <laughs> John Wilhelm, keep up the good work. You've been in the YouTube horror community for a while. How much has it changed from when you first started making videos until now? It's changed immensely. Uh, at first, you know, you're... you're you feel like it felt like there was a real close community, and then I noticed that community kind of went over to Facebook. A lot of YouTube cha things changed, and and a lot of people left. A lot of people stopped making videos. A lot of people grew up and just left. You know, got burnt out, got tired of it, got tired of haters, got tired of spammers, whatever. But uh, they seem like they went over to like the Facebook groups and stuff like that, and that's where most of the people are having these discussions and things. And uh, I remember some old videos. You know, like you do a collection video, you could get. You know, sometimes they boom up to thirty thousand views. Not that I care about the views so much, but now you know I range from five hundred. A thousand views a video it just depends it's not as strong as it used to be or maybe my videos aren't as good as they used to be or just not that many interactions anymore but uh it's changed uh there was this that phase with the sick twisted fucks where everybody was all the extreme movies I'm, I'm glad that's over i mean you can only watch so many extreme movies before you get burnt out and uh, extreme for extreme sake is never pretty good is never not really good to me it's my opinion but i i do like extreme movies i love some extreme movies especially when there's a reason like art extreme movies or just and there's a reason for the extremity i dig it but uh for for the sake of being extreme eh. nick mua any film that you've considered overrated when you were younger but are into now i'm sure there's tons of them you know, I'm trying to think movies that I didn't... Uh, you know, like I said, I used to see all the John Wayne movies on TV, and I, I, I was fine with them, and uh, I, I didn't really have a deep appreciation for them, but now I do. Who should have the final word when the film is released? The director of the studio. Directors like Gil Del Toro, Ridley Scott, have occasionally railed against idiot studio execs. Well, um, really, I mean, if you hire a director to do a job, just let him do his job, right? But uh, every once in a while, the studios or the producers are right. Look at George Lucas, the original Star Wars, they're great. You know, somebody's probably telling Lucas, you're gone too far. With the new episodes, uh, George Lucas is probably untouchable. He probably did what he wanted. Those movies, I don't really like them. And it, it's it's definitely, it feels like somebody just didn't tell him that that's stupid. There was nobody there. When you surround yourself with a bunch of yes men or you can do, have total freedom. Sometimes it, you fail. Like that movie Inferno, that was about basically a director who had total freedom who failed. Or uh, what was it? Uh, Michael Chimo's movie. I, I know Chimo. Uh, was it Heaven's Gate? Is it Heaven's Gate? Yeah, that movie. He had total freedom. Big budget movie, and it, it failed. And uh, I don't know. I have never seen the movie, but it failed, and it pretty much changed the the studio system forever. So I don't know. But uh, I would say that uh, usually the director should get the last last look at it. If you had to make a sales pitch for Batman in under one minute, what might that look like? Okay. Um, Jeez, Louise, it is a psychological movie that uh, explores the darker parts of the human psychology, obsession, you know. And uh, it's a very gray movie, a lot of gray areas, and uh, I think it's pretty cool. Ben Miller, is there any film you've been wanting to see forever but had no luck finding or anything that took forever to get a release at the end? and at all that ended up being very good i know angst i remember that movie i wanted to see for for a long time and i actually got an import and uh ended up downloading one put subtitles on it yada yada and then it was released wide and i have it now but i was pretty good when i saw it uh as a kid there's always the always the checklist natural born killers you got to see it when i was real young uh you know i spin on your grave and you see these and you're like these are actually good that that's one thing i do miss is you hear about millions and millions and millions of movies when you're young you're like nine ten you shouldn't be seeing this stuff and then when you actually do see it it lives up to the hype uh what the older you get the less something's going to live up to the hype maybe you're just jaded or maybe that your expectations are too high or most likely you've just seen a lot more stuff so um and there's some stuff i wanted to see for a long time revenge of billy the kid is that the one with the uh 
evil goat uh, werewolf thing. I wanted to see Revenge of the Billy Kid. I know there's a DVD, and I don't want to download it. I wanted to see Dead Meat, the 1993 one. Uh, is it SOV? Or I think it's 16mm where the guy feeds people to his piranhas. I wanted to see that one. Uh, there's there's a handful of movies like that that I've wanted to see that I really couldn't find. The Demented movie with Jim Van Beber. I don't know if they're going to be any good or not, but I'm interested in checking them out. Okay, let's hop into the update. We got Escape from Alcatraz. Good price. Clint Eastwood. Only seen it on TV. Uh, Road to Perdition, which I got requested to review. This is the pick a movie. Punisher Warzone. I had this on Vudu, but I love this movie. I know, I know, right? I don't like the one with Jan Thomas Jane, uh, but I really like that Punisher. It's it's gory, it's fun, you know, it doesn't take itself seriously, but it, it's not stupid. It's fun. Uh, these I picked up because uh, I had the DVDs, but I was listening to Pure, uh, no, was it, uh, the Moods, 22 Shots of Moods, and they do the Text Chainsaw Massacre series, and I love the first Text Chainsaw Massacre, as you obviously know, but uh, who doesn't? And uh, I was really hard on these when they came out. I was just a hater. I was like... 17 18 when they came out but the text chainsaw massacre remake and i think i was just unfair to these movies they they gave them good reviews and i, I was listening and i was like you know what i don't know why i disliked them because i was being a hater when you're that age you're a hater and the texas chainsaw massacre the beginning the unrated version this is a canadian blu-ray but i think the other i think the american blu-ray is rated then we have the gate 2 which i always liked as a kid it's been a while from shout factory or screen factory then we have concrete jungle which is a prison uh movie and I listened to that damn uh, Pure Cinema Podcast jail episode, and I was like, I need some jail movies now. And uh, Concrete Jungle was there. And Short Eyes from Scorpion Films. They uh, talk, uh, Elric talked about this one. They also talked about Escape from Alcatraz. So, uh, Yeah, I had Short Eyes on DVD, but it's an import. And then we have The Sec, which is a Michele Suave movie. Uh, this is a great movie that a lot of people don't talk about. This is probably his least talk about movie. It has uh, Herbert Lom in it, who's always great. And uh, who's it? Thomas Sarana, I think you say his name. We have uh, also a DVD of Psychopaths by uh, Mickey Keating. Keating? Is it Keating? Let me see. Yeah, Keating. So uh, that is my update. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed the guest reviews. Let me know if you want to see some, you know, like classic corner or see me tackle like the Friday 13th movies because I'll do it. I, I like those movies. It's just that I don't know if you guys actually want to see any more of that. But uh, yeah, Mr. Parker, uh, you guys have a good one and thanks for watching.